Welcome to the Social Fabric Podcast with me, Andrea Splendori. And this week, I bring you an episode that was recorded live in the Whale Theatre in Greystones back in November 2022. My guests are Fiona Brennan and Siobhan Murray. And the title of the podcast was Combating Burnout and How to Create Positive Habits. This is going to be the last podcast of 2022. I'll be taking a short break, but I'll come back with some more guests and some more stories. I'm also working on something new that I'm hoping to bring to you in the very near future. If you've enjoyed the podcasts so far, please share them and review them. It would be greatly appreciated. The title tune, as always, is Alice by Lucky Bones. For more information and more episodes, please visit socialfabric.ie. Can I call you up, oh Alice, on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a while. Been so long now, since ah. I've seen now, where were we? Now, where were we? The girls went upstairs, they didn't get changed, I can't believe. After me telling them, it's not the right attire. Um, <laughs> as I was saying earlier on, we, we will give you a chance to contribute and spoke to some of you uh, in, in here tonight already, and I know you have lots to contribute, so please do make a, a contribution. We'd love to hear your questions for, for our wonderful guests. But let's talk about it for a second. Um, a good friend of mine here, Colin, gave me this quote the other day. He said, uh, a habit cannot be tossed out of the window. It must be coaxed down the stairs a step at the time. I think it was Mark Twain. Oh, so it's very no easy. So it's very easy to say, you know, give up drinking, do all these wonderful things. But it's not that easy, right? And it's a step at the time. So this is to give up something or get rid of something. What's it like to create a positive habit? Well, it's a little bit like I was saying before the break. The most important habit that any of us can really cultivate is an emotional habit, a habit of thought, a habit of feeling, an internal habit of feeling worthy, feeling good enough, valuing yourself. Um, and from there, that's where the behavioral changes are going to sort of almost organically happen. So, so many of us are sort of conditioned really to think, if I wanna change something, I'm gonna look at the external, I'm going to change my job, I'm gonna change my relationship, I'm gonna change my, uh, where I live, you know, all of these things. And ultimately, like there's a lot of research again that shows that that is not what makes us happy. It's like our conditions of living, our, our you know where we live, etc., our jobs. It's about ten percent of actually the total uh, value of, of of our lives and our, our happiness, our ability to be happy. So with habits, like I, what I love to do is is really break them down in terms of the science of habits. So you look at the, the cue, okay, which is the trigger. So that could be a time of day, it could be a person, 
And if you look at an emotional habit, like let's say there's a, I don't know, a, a habit of getting into conflict with someone, your partner, your teenager, somebody that you love, but end up in a consistent state of, of conflict, let's say. The trigger is going to be something there that is just happening again and again and again, okay? And so what we want to do is we want to bring that into our awareness. We want to bring it up from the unconscious into the uh, conscious mind. And then you look at the routine, which let's say the routine is to argue, okay? So that's the habit. The habit is an emotional habit. We always, always think of habits as behavioral, but we've got to look at them at an emotional level because that's where, as I say, the, the change is going to come. So if you have the habit of arguing and then the reward, what is the reward? Because we're driven to um, pursue rewards. The brain is always, as you know, Siobhan, looking for that dopamine hit, that reward. And even with something as toxic as an argument, there's going to be a reward. There's going to be a feeling somehow that this is helping, even though we know it isn't because you feel really awful after any kind of um, dispute. So. What you want to do is you want to interrupt that pattern. And, and that's a good quote from, from Mark Twain in the sense, it is step by step by step. You've got to break it down. You've got to look at, well, what is actually going on underneath this? Um, and I want to change that pattern. I want to, instead of, you're going to be triggered, right? The trigger is going to happen because we're human and we get annoyed and we get tired and we get all sorts of things. But you want to change the routine. So instead of arguing, right, instead of having this um, whatever, you know, conflict, I'm going to, I'm going to stop, I'm going to pause, I'm going to breathe, I'm going to see, can I understand, can I uh, communicate in a different way? And the reward then will, will follow. So it's really the routine that we, we shift. Um, but it has to be done incrementally and it has to, we have to acknowledge our progress always acknowledge progress and most of us are not very good at that we, we tend to and I see it all the time with my clients you know I'll, I'll say how have you been since our last session not good not good I was like, oh Jesus you know, oh, I'm gonna be fired here uh, what's what's going on like and they're like yeah it's just it's really not good I was like, How's, how do have you been out have you you know we talked about exercise yeah yeah no I'm, I'm up to 10,000 steps a day it's awful it's really not good well, why is it not good like this is great this is what you really wanted yeah I know yeah I know I wanted that but now now I want this, right? And it's always the next thing. And there isn't the, the, the sort of awareness, let's say, to stop, to pause, say, well done. Like you're doing what you actually set out to do and somehow it's still not good enough. So the problem is not the behavior, right? But what is going on in that person's mind? How are they speaking to themselves? And it doesn't matter what they achieve, what they do, you could win every VIP award in the year, ever, and it's not going to be enough, right? So you need something in there. You need a voice in your mind that is kind, that is loving, and that is telling you every step of the way that they are proud of you. You know, to hear a voice in your own mind that says, I am proud of you. There's nothing more um, empowering or magical than that. I love the way you put through in the VIP thing again, although you don't care about it. I'm definitely not getting this thing now, am I? I have no chance. But Siobhan, you were doing a lot of nodding. Uh, how does that resonate with you, what Fiona's talking about? Well, I just wanted to ask this fabulous audience two questions. You sure. So just to back up what Fiona is saying, can I ask everybody 
in the audience to raise their hand if they go to bed at night, lie there going, yeah, I didn't call that person, I shouted at my kids, didn't finish that, didn't unload the dishwasher, I hate my partner. Hands on, hands up. Hands up. So yeah, it's a basically, good, a good put your third. hand up. If all that's the things your you thought. didn't do, yeah. all the things you should if have done. That's your thought. Right. right. A good third of the, okay. the audience, yeah. And then I want to ask who in the audience gets into bed at night, pulls the duvet up, snuggles down, and goes, Well done, me. I'm a feckin' legend. Uh, you can turn it. You can. Uh, there's about two, two liars at the back. Well done. Yay! Woo! There's always an outlier. There's always a, there's two at the back. One is from Cork. Oh, you see those. What about Cork you, people? Andrea? What do you do when you go to bed? I'm naughty. I'm asking the questions. <laughs> this is coming out wrong. When you get your own podcast, you can invite me. So, Siobhan, what's the, tell us about that then. So we've seen about a third of the audience raise their hands on the first question and about two people that just had too much to drink for the second one. Every single one of us will get into bed tonight and have got through today, no matter what has happened, no matter what we've had to deal with, no matter what we haven't done, what we have done, no matter who we've called, who we haven't called, whether we've unloaded the dishwasher or not, we have all got through today. And that's bloody amazing. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but so true. And we're never going to get it all done anyway. Yeah. I think that's, that's such oh, a relief. Yeah. Like, just to know there's no point actually even trying to get everything done. Because what does that even mean? You will go, you'll go to your deathbed with a to-do list. So, like, that's fine. But as, as a foreigner, as, as the only foreigner on the stage, is, is it an Irish thing as well, though, that, you know, you don't like to really go, I'm actually pretty good at something? Oh, is it? I'm only asking the question. Yes, yeah. I think and writing a book called The Self-Love Habit is one that probably, like, is, it's not, it doesn't come easily, let's say. It's not something... You know, it was always seen as a bad thing. Yeah. It was seen as something wrong with you if you loved you yourself. Big, too big for your boots. Yeah, you'd eat yourself. You were a bar of chocolate. You know, it's it's a negative. You're too big for your boots. A lot of shame around it, really. Um, and just how much, how many problems that has actually caused. You know, when you look at the the consequences of that, it's detrimental. So, you know, if if loving ourselves means a better world for everyone then bring it on. It's, it's the most selfless thing that, that we can do. Um, it really, really is. And, and that's, it doesn't, we don't, it just sounds selfish, but it is completely the opposite. Thanks. Uh, so we have a green room upstairs. I always say that because I love, we have a green <laughs> it's room. It's just the ego here has gone through the roof. <laughs> So we go to a green room before the show. And, uh, and we, no, but we were talking about this and we were saying, I was saying, you know, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about Bought your business. And <laughs> about your business. And they're both super busy. So if you want to work with Ada Fiona Siobhan, you have to book, and there's a waiting list of a number of months, which is fantastic to hear. Great for business. However, there's also worry the fact that 
how come you have so much business? So with that breaking... Because we're really, really good. I know that. That's <laughs> self-love. And they're raising a book about it. But I know you're wonderful. However, however, without breaking the professional confidentiality, who comes to you? Who are you? Who are, who's your client? Who's the client base? Give me an idea. What's, what's the kind of the person that seeks your, your help? Both of you, start Siobhan. Well, I think uh, for me, it's sort of a mixture. I would have um, people working in the corporate world, in legal, medical, a lot of tech, um, industry. Um, I would, uh, and that's on my one-to-one -one clients. Um, I would also have um, middle management. You know, I have men, I have women. At the moment, I probably have more men in my one-to-one -one client base than female, and that could change in six months. You know, it kind of it, it ebbs and flows. Um, there was a time where I wouldn't have any men um, as one-to-one -one clients. It was all female, and I think that's kind of changed. Um, that yeah, I'm starting to see more and more men taking that first step, which is the biggest step, is to ask for help, regardless of who, whether it's with Fiona or me or the next person. You know, it, it, it's not about who it's with, it's that asking for help. Um, th then on, on the corporate side, I work with um, everything from healthcare professionals to engineering companies. Um, again, I work with all the major uh, tech companies here and in the States. And you know, you say the tech companies, but you have people working in tech companies who are in HR. So it doesn't matter, it's like just because they're in a tech company, it doesn't, they could be in any company. Um, so again, it's it's not, I, I don't think it's specific to any age group, to any gender, to any industry. It, it's right across the board. Which is great from a business point of view, but it's also scary from what we're talking about. Yeah. Because you, you mentioned burnout being a, a, a word that was created for the, the, the healthcare profession back in the 70s, whatever. But now we are experiencing this at every level, which is kind of okay. scary. Yeah. Um, what about you? Well, who comes to you, Fiona? Well, it's interesting because um, I ran a retreat this year in Crete. And I always, before I work with anyone, whether it's a group or one-to-one, -one, I, I send out a, a sort of personal history form where I get a little bit of an idea of the person, not a, everything, but just some kind of idea of how I can help that person. And one question I never ask is, what is your, what's your profession? It's not on the form. Mm. And I, I'm not really that interested, to be honest, because it's not relevant. And with this amazing group of people that we had over in Crete, I honestly, it was only in the last day or something I started to learn what their work was, right? It just did not feature because it, when you're really working on a deeper level, that isn't what it's about because you can get so caught up in the identity of a person's job, what they do. Um, and really, I, I was like, oh my God. I said, you, wow. I, like, it was really interesting. I was like, oh, I had no idea. But I knew so much about them in a very different way. And I think that's... I think that's where we need to be. We need to look at each other without any kind of uh, labels or even anything. It's just like you're just a human being. So I suppose that, to answer your question, I, I work with human beings and I love 
them. I love the work that I do because it feels so humbling. It's just so humble, humbling to be able to sit in a room with someone and to see the side of people, of a person that they are doing their best to hide from everybody else. So when someone comes into a therapy room, they are they feel vulnerable. They'll often, I have the amazing ability that people will cry within about one second of meeting me. <laughs> and they're always so apologetic. And it's actually the, the, the blessing. I know that if that person's crying, it, it's a really good sign because they're, they're more in touch with their emotions. Um, and I know I can help them. Uh, so, but there, there's shame there. They're, they're afraid to show that part of themselves. And yet that is like the gold, that's the joy, that's the part that, that we all need to see and we all need to bring out without shame, mm -hmm. you know? And, and there's so many, so much strength, I believe, in tears. You know, that's like, if you think about how intelligent the body is, it has a way of releasing, of letting go. Like when we cry, we're, we're releasing. Mm -hmm. And yet it's something that, you know, that feeling of pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. It's like, no, if you want to cry, if you if you, there's tears there, like let them come and let them keep coming until until they don't need to come anymore. Hmm. Um, that's really interesting. <laughs> and I'll ask you something about retreats in a minute because that's the beauty of, of your own podcast. Ask whatever you like. And I interviewed <laughs> a, 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 a I'm going to get revenge on you one day. <laughs> no, I interviewed a wonderful lady here in the audience yesterday, and she talks about uh, a retreat. And I'm really curious about retreats, so I'm going to ask you about yours in a second. But this is a hard question to answer now, Siobhan. No, because it's one thing that you do the work with the individuals, with the corporate, both of you, and it's fantastic, and it's a business, and it's, it's more than a business. It's, it's, it's between business and vocation. You do it because you love doing it, because you know you're making the difference. But if we were to make a, a real difference, and you'd be okay, you'll, you'll get the money to, that you need to pay your mortgage and everything else, you, know, you don't need to do what you do every day. What would we need to do as a society to change this, to change this burnout, to change this constant flow of clients coming to you looking for your help. What do we need to do? Us, well, there's these people in here. What do we need to do as a group? We need to take the wellness industry. Sorry, we need to take the wellness industry. We need to kick it on its head, turn it upside down and go, this is a load of bollocks. Excuse my French. It wasn't that hard to answer then. <laughs> Elaborate, please. So I, I really believe that, and you know, I, as I sit here, I'm part of the wellness industry, um, but I, I have this visual in my head of somebody sitting in an, in an infinity, infinity pool in California, looking out over the California hills, and they invented the term, you know, well-being and the wellness industry, and they're sitting there going, ka-ching. And it's like, it's like the, the donkey chasing the carrot, that we are constantly chasing this work-life balance concept, um, which I think is what's causing this high level of stress and burnout and discontent with the world, because we will never have work-life balance. And you know, I, I believe, we, I call it life balance, because it's all life. It's not broken into this pie chart of, well, here's my work, and here's my life, and you know, here's this other bit, and if this bit doesn't work, then I'm a failure, because we're great at doing that, that going back into that, that thought of, I don't have it all perfectly 
aligned um, as the wellness industry wants us to, you know. And then it's if we if we can flip that in its head and start talking about work-life balance as being life balance, it takes that pressure off us to have this perfect existence, um, which media and the interweb um, <laughs> has has. I, for, I forgot what it's called now. <laughs> has contributed to, you know, um, and my other big bugbear, you can see I'm getting my high horse now, yeah, one. Um, is the term self-care. Yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> I give it a round of applause yeah. if you agree. <laughs> I mean, like seriously, stick it on a post-it, rip it up and shuck it out because <laughs> I'm not passionate about this. But I refer to self-care as care of self. So if we can get out of this mindset of, again, created by the wellness industry of, you know, what do you, what do, you do for your self-care? Now, I know what you do for your self-care. So you're like, you've got your care of self way up there because <laughs> you bring it in every day. What do you do? <laughs> it's not your podcast. Keep going. <laughs> but you, you incorporate your care of self into every day. And we've spoken about this yeah. before. But for a lot of us, and, you know, just normal people on our day-to-day -day not knowing where to start and we go okay self-care right i need to up the game care of self is we're actually it's too late in the day we're playing catch-up because we're already at a state of ill health um it, it's just sticking plaster over it's you know going to get your we were talking about this on the way down women I've seen, I have friends who will say, yeah, I'm going to get my hair done on Saturday. Bit of self-care. Rather stick pins in my <laughs> eyes than go and sit in hairdressers. I, it's just, it's not something that is self-care to me. But if we can turn, if we can flip the, the things that we associate with self-care into like these one-off, from these one-off things into care of self, something that we do every single day, that's as ingrained in the habits as brushing your teeth in the morning as having your breakfast having a cup of tea that we do it and if we can even and, and they don't have to be big things if we can intersperse them throughout the day then we've got care of self going constantly we're lifting up our confidence we're increasing our self-love without it being even a big thing it just becomes part it's of who it's we organic are. And, yeah. it, and we do it again it's really helpful to think about how we do it for others and how naturally it comes mm -hmm. we don't say oh you know i'm really going to practice caring for the kids this week i'm gonna, <laughs> gonna i'm gonna really try now make sure that i feed them and get them out to school and get them the exercise and you know it just spills out of us right because it's natural we love them we want to look after them but that's what we need to do for ourselves. That relationship has to be as, as strong for ourselves. In both of your businesses, though, you have, you deal Stop with- Stop using the word business, you make us sound like- Okay, <laughs> in both of your vocations. <laughs> that's better, that's Yeah, better. and both of your, you know, you've been sent here to look after us. Uh, in your business, um, no, you do deal with a lot of um, serious situations, right? Um, which is wonderful, and most, I'm assuming most people come on the other end, better person or dealing with themselves in a different way. 
Well, what about you, Fiona? What do you do for yourself? Yeah. What's your I'm like, self what word will I use? Care. care of myself? No, care is use of self-care. We just piece off. We can't. <laughs> Are you serious? No, what I have to drive home with Siobhan. <laughs> what do you do in terms of boundaries and looking after yourself and making sure that that you are walking the walk, that's how well, I introduced you. Yes, and thank you for that. Um, I definitely do practice what I preach because I think otherwise it's pure nonsense, to be honest, and I would not feel in any way able to go and, and help anyone else if I, if I wasn't looking after myself. Um, so, God, I have so many protocols. It's like, <laughs> it's actually kind of embarrassing. Um, <laughs> I, I practice them all, starting in the morning. Like I have a meditation, I have um, a journaling practice, I do a lot of yoga. I think one of my lovely yoga teachers is here this evening, Sheila. Um, yeah, so there she is. Hi, Sheila. So yoga, I feel, is is a big part of releasing, especially when, as you say, you know, we're working with with people who are going through a lot of trauma, pain. Um, anxiety and, and stress etc so it has to be released from the body and I know that you know I'm very aware of how important it is to actually consciously choose to let it go so I I think it's 60 percent of therapists burn out after five years that's the statistic right so I've been doing one-to-one -one work for 10 years now and I'm like I'm nowhere close to burning out but I think that the reason that really is, is because I don't bring it home in terms of somewhere early on I knew, like, I can't, I can't bring this back, right? I can't bring back all of those issues to, to my own life. So there's a, it's a kind of like a, it's like I call it the golden cloak, you know, I'll put on a cloak that is my protective um, energy and that's there for me. And so when I'm working with a client, I hold the space in that moment in time. So it's really coming from presence. It's coming from uh, being there now at that moment. And then even just subtle little things like hearing the, the, the office door shut, right? Click, gone. gone. Mm. And you have to do that. Mm. Because if you don't do that, well, then you're going to be in that 60% statistic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I have my care of myself very, <laughs> very high. I do NSDRs, non-sleep deep rest. Don't know what that is. Oh my God, brilliant, brilliant. Well, tell us what it is. And it's it's basically a hypnotherapy or yoga nidra. Um, and it, the, the term NSDR was coined by Dr. Andrew Huberman, who is a Stanford neuroscientist. He's got a brilliant podcast. Um, called the Huberman Lab. If anyone has heard it, uh, I definitely recommend it. I've learned so much from him. But I was doing NSDRs before I even knew I was doing NSDRs. And it's when our brain, basically it's like a nap. We could call it a fancy nap, but I do it pretty much every day. Certainly after clients, I'll, I'll do it. And it is a way of cleansing the body, but also reprogramming the mind. So neuroplasticity, um, and I listen to listen to hypnotherapies, and that I would say is the thing that has really elevated my mental health, from being good to being really strong, like really 
positive. <laughs> Dare I say it? <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so my favorite son and my favorite daughter are both here tonight. And, uh, <laughs> and when I was listening to Fiona saying about journaling, meditation, and yoga, I thought, absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. They're going, no chance. I'm not doing any of that stuff. What can we do if you don't need, you know, if somebody wants to come to you, say, look, I need to get going, but I'm not into meditation. I've Sheila, yoga teacher, forget about it. I'm not interested. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, what can we do? You because haven't been to our class. Because that is the problem sometimes, isn't yeah. it? That we go on, and I had a client that said, oh, really, I don't have to do all these things? I said, no, you don't have to do all of these things. Do whatever you really want to do. But what can we do? So in an ideal world, we all want to channel our inner Fiona. And we want <laughs> to be having our naps. And, and But <laughs> realistically, we do. But if we're just starting out, let's <laughs> <laughs> rain it back. <laughs> no, but that is important. No, it no, no, important. no, because you have to start somewhere. Yeah, but I do, okay, just in, in just, yeah. I do think that people will say, I, I don't have time, right? Oh, but yeah. I have a big one saying, you make time, you take time, because no one is going to give it to you. It's the one thing that we will never get back, and it's the one thing that's slipping away. So everything else we can talk about that's slipping away and that's, that we don't have, but, but there's one thing we're in control of, the only thing we're in control of is our breath, and the one thing that we lose every second is time. So I totally agree. But what I do and what I, I get for anyone who who is going, oh, mindfulness, Jesus, yeah. <laughs> yeah, tried it, don't like it. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't get my head to sit still. Yeah, brain was gone. But mindfulness is not, um, it's not just, it goes back to the wellness industry and us thinking that the only way to do mindfulness is to listen to an, something on an app and we must download the app and we have to have 20 minutes and we have to do all these things and then we're thinking about the shopping list and, and going back into all of that. And what I do is, and remember I said, I don't drink anymore, I also don't do drugs, so when I tell you this, this comes from a place of utter sanity. Is <laughs> Sorry, no, I was just coughing. <laughs> and this is a great one for even younger people to maybe get their head around, to start to get them to... to really embrace but this is for everybody to embrace being present because that's all mindfulness is it's being present in the here and now if you like cooking if you like baking if you like sport if you like golfing when you're taking a shot of the ball into the hole with the stick that's mindfulness what's your what's your handicap <laughs> do you know that thing all of that johnny sexton when he's making that kick that's mindfulness. Yeah. You know, that is, it, we don't need an app. But what I did when I was training in mindfulness was one exercise we had to do. And this is where it really turned me off. We had to walk around a room about the size of here. There's about 20 of us in a room, no windows, for an hour as slowly as possible. And I thought, okay, this is where I'm actually, I'm losing the will to live. This is never. I'd love never, that. <laughs> I mean, see, she'd love that. I'm like, whoa, no, no, no. So what I do, from the minute I get up in the morning, I will take, there's, during the day, I will try really hard, if I have time, to get a good walk, as I call it, my good walk, an hour's walk or an hour and a half. But if I don't, I, throughout the course of the day, will do five or ten minute walks. I could do ten of them, because I've got that little short period of time. 
And in those walks, and I don't do it on every single one, but I'll do it on a couple. Okay, now this is where you have to bear with me. I created my purple alien. So my purple alien lives in the sky. And this little guy... Remember, no drugs, no alcohol. <laughs> totally sober. This little guy can't see down here on Earth. But I, he just thinks this world is fascinating. And the more that I can see, hear, and smell, and convey to him in my head, the happier he gets. So for five minutes of at least one of my walks during the day, I don't have my phone with me. And I will just, in my head, I'll be going, oh, there's the color of the leaves. Are, they've got changed since yesterday. There's a bin there. That's ugly. There's a, oh, there's a nice wreath on someone's door. The kids are playing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be pretty. It can be walking in a concrete jungle. It can be walking in down by the sea. It can be in a park. It's not about, oh, I can't do that. There's nothing nice around where I am to look at. It is about being fully present. And the happier my little purple alien gets, the more present I am. Because I'm not thinking about what I've got to cook, what I've got to pick up, what I have to call, <laughs> bills, nothing. For those five minutes. Now, if you can start doing that, then we can all get to be Fiona. <laughs> so I love that. I'd love to know what he looks like, but you can maybe draw it for me. It's so true, though. I think it's brilliant. And, and there is science to back this up. And it is um, a study done in 2010. And it was actually called, it sounds like the title of a self-help book, but this was an academic paper. And it was called, A Wandering Mind is an Unhappy Mind. And they basically, what they did was they, they, it was just when the smartphone had just come out. You know, remember 2010, we were all getting our smartphones. Like, oh my God, it's amazing. Um, but what they did was they, they texted people at random points during the day and asked them what they were doing and what if they were happy and where their mind was, right? And what they discovered was that most people, their happiness had very, very little to do with what they were actually doing. And it was where their mind was. If their mind was in the past, in the future, in the past. And one of the, the times that they were very happy was making love. Now, the researcher said, what the hell were they doing? Answering the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Sure about that, but that—that's. It was like a novelty back then. Maybe I don't know. Fair <laughs> enough. That's great. Sex was a novelty. <laughs> um, just a couple of things before I give the microphone to the audience. Um, I was talking to some people at the interval, and uh, I said oh, I might like to have you on the podcast one of these days live, and they were like, "No chance. You're not having me there." Whether it's anxiety or self-confidence or whatever, but you both talked about self-confidence both in your books and stuff, and it's a big thing. And 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 there's a great passage in your book, Siobhan, about self-confidence and the way sometimes we get distracted and we believe self-esteem, self-confidence is a big. Tell us a bit more about it because I think it's a, it's a really important point to 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 talk about, and I'm sure it's something that leads to the burnout, leads to uh, the things you work on. Well, I, I describe it as, so self-esteem is on the inside and self-confidence is on the outside. So if you think back, and when I'm trying to explain this, um, even to when like the 17-year-old is over with his, his pals and they're, they're all rugby players and just talking about that confidence and, you know, even at that age with teenagers, but for all of us, is if you remember back to when you first started to drive, learning to drive, and the very first time we get in a car, 
and you think, oh dear God, like this moving piece of metal, I, I'm just never going to be able to do this. Um, so when the very first time you sit in the car, you have no self-esteem. So your belief system inside of your ability to drive the car isn't, you, you don't have it. You also have no confidence because you've never driven a car. So um, unless you're coming from a place of massive ego, but the average way of, of thinking will be, I'm, I'm just not going to be able, my physical capabilities, because I've never done it before, I don't have the confidence to do this. So you go in your driving lesson, second time you get in the car, that self-esteem is starting to increase and your self-confidence is starting to increase. So by the time you've done four or five driving lessons, your self-esteem, your belief, because you haven't crashed the car, you're doing great. What about if you failed your test five times? <laughs> We get to that. <laughs> then, then you write a book about positive habits. <laughs> then you write a book on how to pass your driving test. <laughs> but um, it, it, your confidence, your ability, your physical ability to do it. So the, it's the physical ability and then the emotional ability. And that's the difference. So then you pass your driving test and you have a, just a small accident. Just bang on the back of the, the car. So your confidence, your ability to drive the car is still the same. But what can take a knock is your belief, your, that self-esteem, that inner bit of, I don't trust myself, I'm not good enough. So when people say, I need to build up my confidence, chances are your confidence, your ability to do whatever you think you can't do, you can do, but it's how you perceive, it's that belief, it's that self-esteem. And so that's, we need to always, it's working, it's, it's like the, the turtle, it's the inner, inner bit, not the hard shell. We need to work, and it, you know, it's just reiterating what Fiona's been saying all evening. It's from the inside out, not the outside in. We can drive the car, but if you're driving the car and your self-esteem is on the floor, you're actually going to be gobbled up with anxiety because you're going to be going, I'm driving the car, I'm driving the car, I'm going to crash the car, I'm going to crash the car, oh my God, because that's what happened the last time. So, but if, if you work on that self-esteem to bring that back up and make which, it Which mad. is why we're, we're so often, like, our self-esteem is knocked when we do anything new, right? Yeah. So anytime, like you were talking about writing your first book, you're going to feel that sense of imposter syndrome. This is shite. No one's going to like it. Um, but it's because you've never done it before. And I think that's really important to always to remember, like when you're doing something for the first time, like just please give yourself the, the patience and the um, love that you deserve to see that through. You're going to feel that fear. You know, it's going to feel uncomfortable. But it doesn't mean that uncomfortable feeling does not mean don't do it. If anything, I would say it means the opposite. It means this is right. You've got to do this because it means something to you. Thanks very much. You know, it's, it's really important because it's our self-worth versus what we believe other people think of us and all of that. So it's really important. And as I say, you you elaborated very well in the in the book and it's, and it's great because I, it's really confusing at times. You know, yeah. we just go, okay, I can't drive the car. But but also, and just on that, you know, what other people think of us. And I, I when I gave up drinking, it's funny, I did, I, I what I used to do when I drank is at six o'clock, myself and Chardonnay hang out in the kitchen. Um, in a, with a wine glass, the two of us, we had great chats. Um, <laughs> so when, when the 1st of November came 15 years ago, I would pour a diet 7-Up 
into my wine glass and I did that for um, for a month and then it was like the placebo effect. But the reason I was saying this, my brain was, I was going off on a different tangent there, was because I never did AA and I don't have anything against it. But there is an amazing saying in AA, um, which is what other people think of you is none of your business. Mm-hmm. And we do get so caught up of that fear factor of doing something new because what would other people think of me or what will they say? And actually, like, honestly, people are so self-absorbed <laughs> with themselves. That's what my mum always says. She's like, no one's looking. No they one's don't care. Yeah. Mm. Or to, to be independent of the good opinion of others. That's even better. Like, wow, power <laughs> to us. If we can be independent yeah. of either good or bad opinion, then we're really... We're all VIPs then. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. What a saleswoman. What a saleswoman. I'm Uh, definitely going to win that. And uh, uh, Fiona's book is called... (laughs) There's two of them there. So I'd like to give you the word. uh, To be either Pete or uh, Isabella, I don't know who's going around with the the microphone, but if if you have a question, and I hope you do have one or two, please raise your hand. And there's Nicole at the back there. And wait until you get the microphone. And make sure it works. And ask a question. For, uh, tell us who the question is for, please. It's for everyone. There you go. <laughs> um, so, Andrea, you seem to think that we need to get rid of the cues that are going to see Fiona and Siobhan. And Fiona and Siobhan, I think we should all be going to therapy. Um, and at what point do you think in life we're emotionally mature to do that work that sets us up for adulthood, that doesn't, that we don't end up in burnout, we don't end up acting out from trauma, we become good communicators, we go, become good relators. What's your, what's your view on that? Do you know, I'm so pleased you said that, sorry to just take that for a second, but I actually, when Andrea asked that question, I, I actually thought the exact same thing. I think we all need to go to therapy at some point in our lives. Um, and not just necessarily at some point, but to have a place, like if you think that there's a, a person in your life that you can go to that is non-judgmental, that is listening and is just there for you, right? That's pure gold. So it's not like this is a bad thing. It's actually a wonderful thing. Um, but it's not not called a friend. No. No, 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 no. To explain. (laughs) Why not? Because friendship is two ways. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, go on. You haven't convinced me yet. Because with with friendship, we well, one we want to fix because we care. And you know, therapy is not about a therapist fixing anybody. A a therapist has that belief that everybody has that within them. They are Mm -hmm. just there to support that um that journey. Um, I hate that word, sorry. The um, journey? Yeah. Okay. Jesus, a oh lot of words journey. you don't like. What's it? I know. <laughs> well, it's another wellness industry. There's nothing in this book. Yeah. It's, a, it's another wellness industry. Oh, you a know, journey. Was, okay, you don't journey. like journey. Go on. Um, but you know, you know what I mean by that. I but, do. Um, it's it, exactly as Fiona said. It's that somebody who's impartial, somebody who's not going to judge you, somebody who's not going to try to it's fix. It's very, you. very different, Andrea. Honestly, it is, and I'm very friendly with my clients, but they're not my friends. It's a different thing. It has to be, um, because it's very unique. No, like there's no other relationship really like it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's with your mother, your father, your child, your friend, your 
partner, but a relationship that is one person is, like you say, impartial, subjective. There's no baggage. There's no sort of, um, you know, well, oh, you did that for me and I did that and now you're not listening. And I was only actually talking about this with a client the other day and she, she was really hurt because she'd hurt, she'd helped a friend go through a really bad uh, anxiety period. And she said, and then I went to her and I, I, I told her something how I was feeling and she just didn't seem interested. And I was so hurt by that, she said. And I said, well, okay, I can understand that. But you've got to remember, you're not her therapist, right? So, so the friend there had taken on a role that was, was too high. She was drained. She was exhausted. She's not trained to do it. And it isn't her job. It's not a friend's job to actually, it's not that we don't care or we don't listen, but we can't be that um, impartial. So it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's very different. Yeah, I just want to throw the curveball <laughs> there to see what you have to say. Does that, uh, does that answer your question. question? Does it answer your question? Probably not. It does, <laughs> some of it. Uh, there's a question from the gentleman at the front here. Hold on one second. Sorry. <laughs> at what point in life is good to start that work? Because oh, there is a point where you're, you know, legally you're an adult at 18, but you're not emotionally mature at 18. Um, that sets you up for life. So, you know, we hear boundaries, we hear reparenting and, you know, reparent yourself and uh, taking all those actions. Is there a point in an adult's life where that's good to start that work? Um, well, what I would say is I think it's different for everybody. I mean, I don't anymore, but I used to work with older teens, but under 18s. And there would be some that would not be engaged and willing to do the work. And there would be some that would be. Um, in an ideal world, I would love to see secondary schools not so much have guidance counsellors, but to have an actual class and not like a religious class, but a class where we were teaching young adults what their personality type is, um, who they are and how they connect with the world. And that that went on, that every, if somebody went on to college, that regardless of what they were studying, as part of their degree, you have to do this other part that, that becomes mandatory, that that's, it, it's, it's just ingrained. But I, you the know, earlier the better, really, yeah, definitely. But I think, I mean, I've, I've, I think the younger, the younger somebody is, I think there's so much stigma attached to it as well. Um, and it's, I don't think there's a specific age that you would start, but I also don't think there's a specific age that you stop. I don't think anyone should be in therapy once a week for the rest of their lives. Can I ask a question? Yes. You both have teenage sons. Yes. Do they need to go to therapy? Probably. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Are you sending them to therapy? Uh, no. Um, because I think well, I went into one of them today and I threw a therapy line at him and I was told where to go. Um, Basically, I can't say the word mental health around Luca. Okay. He'll kill me. Mm. So. But do you think, and now this is a genuine question, yeah. do you think, and we kind of briefly spoke about your kids and the teenage years, whatever, but do you genuinely think, okay, it would be a great idea for Luca, and I forgot your, your son's Sean name. and Charlie. Sean and Charlie, too. Go and send them to, to Fiona, send them to Siobhan, yep. because they'll be better off. Would you, would you do that, if they were agreeable to? If they, if they were agreeable, um, Sean has, my older lad, has in the past um, gone. But 
you have to be in therapy, regardless of what type of therapy it is, you have to be a willing participant. Mm. Young talks about this. Carl Jung, you know, you can't, and that's why bringing young people, young adults exactly, yeah. to therapy, I've had, I've had mothers or fathers call me about their 21, 22, 23 year old yeah. adult children and going, they really need to go, will you see them? And it's like, well, do they want to? Um, so I don't think there is a specific age when you can, st- when, when to start, but I also think therapy is something that we should be in the same way you get your teeth cleaned twice a year, you go and get to the doctor for your checkups. I think we should be dipping in and out of therapy all our lives because we're constantly changing. New challenges and difficulties. and Traumas, um, celebrations, uh, jobs, careers, marriages, deaths. Things are always happening. So I don't, do I think we should have a therapist in our back pocket? No. But do I think we should have that ability to, to dip in and out of it and feel comfortable in doing that throughout our lives. I do. Okay, thank you. Does that answer your question now? <laughs> thank you. We got there. <laughs> uh, the gentleman at the front there, Michael. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to go back to the self-sabotage piece and the self-esteem. I, 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 um, certainly from things like trauma, anybody studying trauma, uh, one of the bits of what do you think of the notion that part of it is that there's, there's a great comfort in familiarity, even if familiarity is being familiar with shit. And is that if you self-sabotage, at least you prove that your self-esteem is correct in that you're rubbish. And and, and that a lot of self-sabotage is, is, it's like the gamblers who, who aren't addicted to winning, they're addicted to the dopamine of fear of losing. Mm. And that familiarity of failure or a feeling of failure rather than failure is part of self-sabotage because at least you're bringing back to, you're, you're proving yourself right even if it's not to your benefit. Absolutely, yeah. And what you're, what you're talking about there is something I, I alluded to earlier and that is that the subconscious likes familiar, okay? And it, it will not distinguish whether it's positive or negative. It just likes the familiar. So that's why so many people, as I said, will, will come up against blocks because the subconscious doesn't want to necessarily change until it can really understand. And that's why we've got to bring up what is unconscious into the conscious awareness and use, like we, we have this, it's like um, Ruby Wax said, you know, we have, it's like we have a Ferrari on the top of our head and we're not, you know, we've got the keys, but we're not opening it. We've got this incredible ability um, with our modern brain to start to really use that like a torch, like a light. Our consciousness is like a light. And when we turn it on, we can actually really understand what is that underneath that familiarity and to see it clearly and to say, this is not helping me. This is doing the opposite. Just like what you were talking about with, with you know, the two bottles of shot. I know we're joking about it, but just how detrimental it was for you. Mm-hmm. And it's only till you were actually able to see it, you know, in a, in a different way, your perspective changed. And, and as a result, you know, like you said, you're here today. So this is a wonderful thing. And we all have that capacity. But we, it's, it's turning on the light and waking up. Um, and that's why these practices are so important. And they do require consistency. You know, that's like to break 
familiarity, a pattern, it has to be not just once, but many, many times. That's how the subconscious shifts. It's not something that happens overnight. No, no matter what, whoever tells you, I can fix this in whatever, that's very unethical. It is actually something that requires consistent practice and it can be done. But like, again, Siobhan was saying, the buy-in has to come from the person wanting the desire. The desire has to be greater than the fear Many in, in many cases. Thank you. Anyone else? Any question? I can't see. There's somebody at the back and somebody here, whoever gets there first. Um, the lady here in the corner, please. Hi. Um, I just wanted to know, what would you recommend as a first step for anyone tomorrow to take as a first step to combat combating um, burnout or incorporating self-love? What is that one thing that you would really recommend anyone to do? I love the way you didn't use self-care. That's great. She <laughs> <laughs> won't go for it. Or oh, whoever, sorry. Yeah. Self-love, yeah. The first step, is that what you're saying? Ooh. Um, look in the mirror. Make eye contact with yourself. Keep the eye contact with yourself. Don't look at all the things that are wrong, that you think are wrong. There's nothing wrong. You're gorgeous. But when you look at yourself... It's like you look in a way that is beyond the physical. So you're really looking deep into your own heart, into your own soul. You're looking past your hair, your makeup, all that stuff. It does not matter. And you stay. And you stay when it gets uncomfortable. And you keep, and you stay, and you stay, and you stay. And you breathe. And you've no idea what that does for you because you're now connecting to yourself. And it's, it's remarkable because there was a time when I find it hard to make eye contact or to maintain eye contact. Does anyone know that feeling like someone's on you going, oh, you know, don't look at me so much, it's uncomfortable. But when you do that exercise, right, honestly, I can make loads of eye contact. Like, it's brilliant. You, once you make eye contact with yourself, you can do it with, with others because you're at ease with yourself. And when you're at ease with yourself, you're going to be at ease with others. It could ask By the way, you've got great eye contact. I could ask you a question. Sorry, I didn't catch your name because you didn't tell us. But anyway, uh, what's your name? Sorry. Kira. Kira. Uh, give me the microphone, please. Do you think... I, I did this, right? I did this. Um, it's called the Mood. Um, it's called the Mood, mood Index. Tracker. The Mood Tracker. And I did it when I read the book. And I am a 19 to 32, little signs of burnout, which I was really kind of not impressed. Keep an eye on how you feel. No, but genuinely. And... Do you think, do you think you're heading that way? Is that why you're asking the question? Um, yeah, probably. I think what resonated with me was the, the overachieving. No matter what, where you are in your career or your life, I, I'm a single mom and I think I, I do that all the time. You know, like that, like I try to make up for the absence of, the other person so it's like this never-ending <laughs> overachieving and then sometimes I go to bed like that and I'm like why did I get so annoyed or why did I have such a short fuse and I'm obviously doing my best but it's that like never-ending overachieving thing I suppose that like I don't want to get to that stage where I'm like fully fully burned out I don't think I'm there yet <laughs> touch wood <laughs> um, <laughs> But I don't want to get there either. You know, yeah. I want to try and nip it 
before it gets to that, I suppose that what you said of like stepping away and not even connecting, like that, that scares me more than the short fuse thing, <laughs> that I'm just not there, you know? Thanks for sharing, Kira. Can I just ask you another question? Uh, uh, thanks, and we're all, it's a very safe space here. We all know each other. Can I just get another question? Uh, no, no, it's just quite do. important. It's a question I wanted to ask the girls. Would you say you're a resilient person? A resilient? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would think, I, I think I am very resilient, actually. I think I'm also probably quite... Um, Emotional. <laughs> you said earlier about crying. I was nearly crying that's, that's as you're saying it. Everybody cries when they're yeah. with Fiona. She's <laughs> like, I've like, like, oh, got none here as well. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think I'm a resilient person, definitely, yeah. Okay, Can I so. just jump in there? Uh, yeah, because oh. I want to talk to you about resilience, because I have a, a bugbear with resilience. Go on, you okay. jump in there. Well, so do I. Yeah, go on then. Uh, that's another word. Yeah, go on, exactly. <laughs> uh, no, exactly. That is my biggest problem with this resilience, and, and I'm hoping that's not where Kira's going, yeah. because we believe I'm resilient against, against the negative yeah. ones. You know, yeah. Maybe it's a case of going, maybe I need to go a different route. Maybe this route is not the way I need to take. Am I right or am I wrong? There is, but before I even answer that, Go can I that. just jump back into something? Yeah. Just as, so, I mean, there's so much when it comes to to burnout. That you know, we talk about positive health and we talk about sleep and nutrition and and care of self and and all of that. But one thing that I'm always I'm always up for life hacks. You know, how, what's going to get me through today? Because mm -hmm. that's all that's all I've got. It's today. Don't have yesterday no idea how like tomorrow is way too far away and every morning when i get up um and i am you know i've learned bear in mind myself and fiona have been doing what we do for a long time so this is you know you don't turn around if somebody had said to me 10 years ago you would actually practice gratitude i'd have gone f off you know like all the stuff that i do if someone had said but what i do every morning when i get up and as a single mom of two teenagers, and I've always been, and I'm a full-time solo parent, I ask myself, what is, the per what, is the what is the person I want to be today? How does she react to situations? How does she respond to situations? How does she enjoy today? I, d does she want to drag herself through the day and feel grumpy and irritable and snap at the kids and eat crap food? Or does she want to, and whatever that is, mm -hmm. I say that to myself. And I do little check-ins throughout the day, like 10 second check-ins. And that helps to keep me being remembered because you are enough. You don't have to overachieve. Thanks, Yvonne. Thank awesome. um, there is a lady at the back there, uh, Isabel. Uh, there's a young lady there at the back looking for. Oh, sorry, young, sorry, young, I don't have young. my glasses on. <laughs> uh, first of all, let me say, uh, Siobhan and Fiona, uh, loved this evening. Really, really love hearing all your words and your wisdom. So thank you so much for sharing. And um, one of the things I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on is uh, I just find that modernity is so based on individualism and bringing us right down and pairing us. And where therapy is so amazing, and I've been in uh, therapy pretty much my whole life, and it has been wonderful. But really kind of coming back to what Andrea was saying, without community, it's, it's actually useless. 
you know, and what you were saying and so bravely sharing, it's not like, is high achieving because we want to be high achievers or because we have no container and container is community. So the more and more that we've moved into this individualism, the more and more we've moved away from talking to our friends and just instead texting or being on social media, it's like, what are your, like for all the therapy and for all the self-evaluation and all the, like exactly what you said earlier on about self-care, it's a load of bullshit, I completely agree. When you get to that point, you need to be taken care of. So without community, and I think that's a huge piece that we're missing, and it's like post-COVID, all of that, we can't do this on our own. You can't raise a child, even if you had a partner, the two of you couldn't do it on your own. We can't do life on our own. And there's an amazing group of people down here in Greystones who helped me find that again. You know, so it's... Uh, <laughs> it's interesting. So how, how do we do that? How do we have both? Like, what, what are your thoughts on... How do we, how do we weave... The, what's, what's the fixing stitch? What's the mending stitch that helps us bring back community? Thanks uh, for that, because we were, when we were having dinner, we had this eyebrow. Thanks, Aaron. We had this really interesting conversation where we were, we were discussing the, the um, Maslow's pyramid and where we really believe in it. And Fiona, uh, Fiona still believes in it, but myself and Siobhan didn't. We, we said exactly that. We said, yeah, you can need shelter and all that, but without a community, shelter and food is, is no need. Uh, so you, you answer to the question. You <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Okay, so so I think you're absolutely right that community, once we've had enough to eat, I, I was like going into Auschwitz and comparing it to like when she we're starving, like we're not able to consider... We, we had just ordered tapas, so that was just like... Yeah, you know, it was feeling all very lovely, yeah. but um, yeah, I, I would say like just exactly what Siobhan said there to Kira about, you know, asking yourself, how do I want to show up and how do I want, you know... A question that I ask myself, and I think leads into what you're saying, Karen, is how can I serve, right? How can I, and that brings you out of yourself. And it's when we're out of ourselves, as in like being wrapped up with what's going on, am I performing, am I good enough, am I, you know, all of these really negative uh, thoughts that can go through our mind. When you put your attention outward, you will naturally and organically find ways to create community around you. And absolutely, I mean, there's, again, studies on this where, you know, what is the, the solution for depression? Connection, right? And, and that's AA is, is a huge um, example of that, of how people, like, completely go to, on to thrive, but they were on the, on the ground and now they're, they're doing amazing. And a huge part of that is replacing the group that they had, let's say, in the pub becomes the group of the meetings, right? And that's one of the longest standing sort of uh, examples we have of the power of community. So I definitely uh, think you're spot on, but the solution, the solution is um, really making the connection between why care of self, right, is so integral to care of others. Because at the moment, when people are neglecting themselves, they inevitably will neglect others. But because it's, you can't give what you don't have, right? 
But can I just add one thing, and that's the reason we're all here tonight, because when I started this idea of the podcast was very much to create a community. That was always just say, yeah. okay, meet these wonderful people, see what they have to say. <laughs> but one thing, and the girls were saying in the tapas bar, say, well, you have a great community. I said, yeah, but it takes work. You know, you yeah. can't just show up and expect things to happen. You need to be part of it. You need to put in what you want to get out. And that's why I say talk to the, I'm sure you know the person next to you, but if you don't, make sure you get to know her because she's wonderful. And I can guarantee you she's wonderful. So is the other girl beside you. And so is everybody in this room because we are wonderful people. And we sometimes we have weird behaviors. <laughs> and I'm not looking at you, Fiona, for any reason. I just... <laughs> I just turned, but we, we don't dislike people, we dislike their behavior. So just do have a chat with the next person. You, you find, that's how I met these wonderful people, and that's why we're here. You just have a conversation, and whatever you put in, you get out. But so can you see, Andrea, you have the, you're able to do that, right? But I'm no superhero. Which no, is, but you are, you see. I am, okay, thank you. <laughs> You are, uh, you are. It. No, but we have a question from another lady there at the back. Thank you, Fiona. No, but everybody can do it. And if you do it, you get the best out of it, out of everybody. Please. Hello, hi, I'm Lucianne, um, also known as the Sunshine Doula. So I'm a doula and I work with new parents um, and their babies. There's birth doulas, but I don't do birth. I do kind of new, new parents and babies. Um, so... Uh, it's not really a question, really. First of all, just to say to Kira, I think you're amazing. No, yeah, totally. This is just a promotion for me. Uh, no, <laughs> no, not at all. The not sunshine doula. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag. What's your no. Instagram yeah, handle? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Not we let we let we let it just VIP, check it out. Just in case there's any doula awards. Yeah. Uh, no, not at all. Not at all. First of all, to Kira, I just want to say you're doing an amazing job. And exactly what the ladies, Siobhan and Fiona, have rightly said, like, even if you had a partner, even if it, you can't do it on your own, it's impossible. I have two kids. I find it really difficult every bloody day. Um, so you are doing the most amazing job. And I guess one thing that I, I kind of wanted to say to you guys is that I know a lot of burnout is definitely seen as a corporate thing, but I would see a lot of mom slash or hashtag like parent burnout um and like it i guess it comes back to you guys saying you know it's a high achieving like people who are high high achievers they're like you know trying to do everything trying to be the parent trying to be like the best at their job trying to keep up with social media and they see all these people who look like they're having a great time with their new babies and they're sitting there at home going i can't get my shit together like, oh, why don't I have my shit together? So I guess it's more, it, it's not really a question, but maybe it is a question. It's like, do you see many parents who are, or like new parents, and it's not necessarily first time parents, it's parents of one, two, three kids, where you go, it is actual burnout. Not just that exhaustion of newborn exhaustion, but actual parent burnout. And, and do you see that a lot? Absolutely, yeah. And I think that there is so much expectation that women in particular have on them when they become mothers for the first time that somehow they can they can do like they literally can be super human. Um so I think that it's it's absolutely uh, prevalent and, and, and needs um more education and awareness around it because 
there's a sense of, like I certainly remember like my son is now nearly 15, but when he was first born, I definitely thought I could do it all. Do you know what I mean? It was just like, oh yeah, like seriously, yeah. that this baby is not going to, you know, and it didn't take that long to cop on <laughs> that <laughs> this was actually, all? yeah, hello, it, it's like nothing is working here. It's like a lose-lose situation. Yeah. And, you know, what's more important? And the best thing I ever did is I stopped working for a year. We didn't have much money. I didn't give a, sh you know, hoot. Yeah. I was just delighted. I had that full year with my son and it was the best decision I ever did. But, it, you know, that's not everyone can do that. And I, I think for that is like, that's not what you see on social media. And what, what people who are having babies see is what social media shows, which is they're like, oh, look at my beautiful baby in their neutral colors at this photo shoot. And it's really hard for people to be, and they're working and they're this and they're that. And it, it, it's, it's something that I genuinely see a lot of working with new parents and yeah. stuff. And it, 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 it does worry me because it, there's such a knock-on effect on both parent and baby. And yeah. it's like, so how can, is there anything that I can do as a postpartum doula to try and get them to realize that? I mean, I try my best anyway, um, you know, but if there's any extra tips, I'd be more than willing to take them with me. Well, I think, I think it's really interesting. I think it's um, in the Chinese society, um, it's the mother-in-law that moves in with the daughter-in-law when the baby that must be great crack <laughs> i think and, and i i think they stay there for four months yeah four like months. it's not yeah. even it's not even yeah. four weeks it's yeah. like four months yeah yeah, no, yeah. yeah. yeah the resting it's called the resting in period it's not yeah. fun like no one wants that that's but, extreme but it's really interesting because you know they they even going back in different societies you know ants aunties would come and because families have got so fractured people are living you know from the country they're moved up to dublin or so they don't have that that family immediate family support network i think it's exactly what we've just been saying is creating that community and getting people to understand i have a we're just flipping back into the word resilience you know you see the young couples trying to be really resilient and the definition of resilience is bouncing back from adverse situations. Well, by God, nobody is bouncing in the last three years. Um, I don't think there was much bouncing beforehand, so I, don't, I think the term. But resilience is actually, at its core, understanding when to ask for help. And if we can get people to change that, you know, I, I, I have a thing called the resilience matrix, which is the four S's, which is identifying your supports, and for different situations, it can be different supports. Identifying your sagacity, your words of wisdom. For example, mine with my teens is bend with the wind and choose your battles carefully. And I apply that to pretty much everything. Or, uh, you know, duck, tie your shoelaces and let the shit fly over your head. <laughs> These are my really deep, meaningful <laughs> words of sagacity that I take with me every day. But then, so there's your, your supports, your sagacity, um, your strategies and your solutions and if you can get people to think in that structured way but the most important of those four s's is your supports who are the supports because it, it can be the neighbor yeah. it can be the doula it's it's getting people to go asking for help is really important and can i just say that in case you don't know um siobhan's um interweb handle is uh, 
Twist in the Jar. Do you mind telling us the story of Twist in the Jar? That's the name of our company. We should, I, think, I think it says a lot about asking for help. Just yeah. tell us the story because I think it's wonderful. So my, my mum was a single mum. And she was, um, uh, I was about five at the time. We just moved back to live with my granny and my two uncles who would have been in secondary school. Mum worked in an ad agency and she went to work one day, toddled off and um, she literally was sitting at a chair and she fell off the chair. She had a brain uh, hemorrhage, she had an aneurysm. Now bear in mind, batshit crazy, 77 years of age, she is here, happy ending to this story. I just, so don't be going, ah, yeah, just like, yet. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Boy, does she like Sauvignon. Her and Sauvignon are great pals. But so she was, she was temporarily paralyzed down her left side. She was in hospital for the guts of a year. Um, when she came out, she did have the use of, I think it's her right side, um, but she actually, very shortly after she came out, she ended up having a nervous breakdown and was in St. Michael's. Um, because she would have been 32 years of age, she couldn't cope with not being able to do what she could do before it happened. Um, and that was, was massive to her. Um, so now roll on another few years, and her and I were living in Rathmines in a really grim, dodgy flat. In the early 80s, no money. She went off. At this stage, she was in the process of setting up one of the first employment agencies in Ireland in the middle of a recession when there was no jobs and there was no employment agencies, um, which went on to be fairly successful. Um, but we're standing in this little shitty kitchen and she was making spaghetti bolognese and she um, was trying to twist open a jar of pasta sauce. And because she was always and still is slightly weaker um, on her right side, from the brain hemorrhage, she couldn't twist the jar open. And when I was thinking of naming what I wanted to name my company, it was Siobhan Murray Therapist, Siobhan Murray Coaching, Siobhan Murray this and the other. And for some reason, twisting the jar, just, just I kept coming back to it. Because here's the thing, is that there's loads of ways to twist the jar. You can stab it on the top with a knife and it can release pressure. And um, you can run it under cold water, you can intemper, bang it off the side of the counter. You can do all those things that we do on our own, or you can do what my mum did. Mum didn't go, oh, well, I'm weaker on one side, therefore I can't twist the jar open, therefore I can't cook dinner, therefore I can't provide for my daughter. She just went, here's something that I can't do at the moment, so can you twist the jar for me? Did that, got it back, and went on to doing what she did was doing best, which was cooking dinner. And that's what twisting the jar is about. That's what resilience is about. It's about knowing when we need to ask for help to twist our jar. Sometimes we do do it on our own. Sometimes we just want to do it on our own. But other times we need to, to remember we can ask for help. And it's a hell of a lot easier. It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength to let us continue down the road doing the stuff that we know how to do. Well, I think it's what, yeah. It's so hard for many people though, isn't it? To do that, to ask for help is actually one of the most difficult things, really. And that's why it's like, it's such a, a brilliant story and, and a clever name for your brilliant business. <laughs> no, but business. I, I wanted yeah, to make sure really we say it one. is, a, it's, it's one of the takeaways, it's, uh, hopefully you have a few takeaways from tonight, but uh, it's, it's just a great story that really stayed with me all those years ago when we first met and, and I think it's, it just speaks volume, you know, so that's why I want to make sure. And I think 
I hope uh, it speaks volume to Kira or anybody else that might have the similar story. So, Fiona, look like you're about to read a story. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, this is, uh, now we're going into the hypnotherapy bit. So just read the taxi now, and then uh, we're going to go into a no, sleep. No, do you know what? I have this little book, and I, I write things down that, that I write things down that I, I feel are important and that might help people. So I thought maybe I'll just read something rather than, than do a Please go for it. big hypnotherapy session. So um, <laughs> this might bring a lot of what we've spoken about here this evening, hopefully, to, to some kind of, um, what's the word? Uh, closure. Closure is a good one, yeah, okay. So watch your thoughts, they become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And that is Lao Tzu. Well done. Thank you, thank you very much, Fiona. Um, I don't think there's any more questions. If there's a really a burning question, we'll take another one. Otherwise, I can see Brian watching me going, it's nearly time to go home. Do I have another minute, Brian? We do, okay, cool. So if there is one more question, I'll allow you one more question. Oh, I can't see you, so you have to shout if you want to talk, you. otherwise we'll say goodnight. Uh, I have a question, who's that? That's Nicola from Cork again. She's from Cork. She hadn't said, she didn't say this, she's from Cork, but she's from Cork. Nicola, where are you from? You had one earlier. Yeah, go on. Oh, sorry, I can't see you. I don't have one. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Okay, so um, you closed that, lovely um, Fiona. So maybe give us three things to do tomorrow morning when we wake up. Within 10 minutes, what would we do? What three things would we do in 10 minutes? Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> gratitude, number one. Before you even open your eyes, just allow yourself to come into your body the more connected you are to your body, the better, like I said earlier, um, which is why Karen, my lovely masseuse, is here as well. That's another thing I do. Another way I look after myself is going to Karen for beautiful massages. Um, so connect into your body. Don't, you don't have to go to Karen tomorrow, ten for the first thing. That might be a bit demanding. But connect into your body and literally, like, again, it's a very poignant time, right? Because our, our subconscious is slowly emerging for the day just as we're going to sleep and just as we're coming through for the day, those are the two most malleable times for our brain. So if you can start with a feeling of gratitude, you don't need to listen to anything, you don't need to put anything on, but just really take a moment to observe. I am alive, I am healthy, I have a whole new day ahead of me and I am grateful for that day. That's gonna have, that's gonna have a, an impact, not if you do it once, but if you do it again and again and again, and again, then it will have an impact. So that's one thing I would say. Maybe Siobhan, what's another thing? Um, I would do, before you get out of bed, um, box breathing, because that's gonna get oxygen right through your um, body. And the best way to do box breathing, um, the easiest, quickest way is to do it when you're lying down, because you put your hands on your stomach and you can feel your stomach rising um, and dropping like it's a balloon. So you breathe in for four, hold for four, breathe out for four, hold for four, and repeat and do that. There's another minute. So now you've got two minutes done, right? 
Um, so Andrea, we'll let you do the third Yeah, one. absolutely. <laughs> and for the rest, there'll be two books for sale at the end. And uh, I would like to thank you all for uh, and thank my wonderful guests, Siobhan and Fiona. And if you do want to buy a book, there's books thank there. You, you can meet the girls and they'll sign it for you. Thanks a million. Thank you. You've been listening to the Social Fabric podcast with me, Andrea Splendori, and that was part two of two of my conversation with Fiona Brennan and Siobhan Murray. Please join me again or visit socialfabric.ie for more episodes. But if I meet you somewhere far down the line The sun still shines in your hair I'll kiss you once Then I'll say goodbye Yeah, if I meet you someplace Far down the line The sun still shines in your face I'll kiss you once Then I'll say